Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello and welcome back to Life List. Good to be with everybody. I am here with my co-host Alvaro Jaramillo. This is George Armistead. Alvaro, what is going on, man? Hey, how you doing? Um, we're here, West Coast. It's windy, 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 windy. It's like been the windiest it's been in a while. So that's that's kind of interesting, kind of dropping into fall. And, um, you know, it's uh, you just feel it in the air right now, you know. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, you know me, I love the crisp, crispness of fall. It hasn't really, it's kind of, we kind of hit a low over here where it's kind of been kind of humid and a little muggy and not kind of the crisp, cool fall that I love. Um, but it's starting to pick up. We had a pretty big whack of birds last night and um, it's shaping up well um, for the next couple of days. It looks like some pretty good migration. Nice. But hey, I got to say, you have other non-bird news for us, and we have to sort of extend a big congratulations mm -hmm. to you guys, because some of you may have already heard in another podcast, we'll talk about it in a second, but <laughs> George is now a married man. Congratulations, George. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been great, and yeah, it's certainly uh, – it's uh, – it's been kind of a whirlwind last uh, week plus, um, but Kristen and I are doing great. Got married uh, down on the eastern shore of Maryland and got a little nervous there about the day, not the day before, but two days before we were to do the wedding. I kept saying to folks that were going, we just did a small wedding. I was like, everything will be cool as long as the weather's good. And like, the day, like two days before I woke up to a lightning bolt, literally oh, like a lightning bolt and thunder. I don't know where it hit, but it was close. And I was like, that's was a sign. Like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, Oh man. And it, it rained like, I don't know, six, seven hours that day. It just felt like it was never going to stop. And it was windy. And I was like, what is going on? But it, it, uh, it dried out and calmed down for the day of, and we had a beautiful day. Uh, surrounded by family and and uh yeah it was it was a it was a heck of a day it went great I, I think for bird or naturalists there's nothing i mean you, you you have to go with an outdoor wedding it's like it's the chapel is nature right exactly and, uh, and uh but it also you know can be problematic you know you're 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 there you're, you're supposed to be paying attention and you know birds are flying over <laughs> You know, yeah, you're, you're listening to what's going on. I yeah. want to know: Did you have a wedding eBird list? You know, we did not. Uh, and uh. and I, yeah, I mean, I seriously considered um, trying to trying to do that. Um, but it was like looking around; it was like my it was me and Kristen and my dad were really the only birders there. And like I, I noticed uh, red start, black and white warbler. We had some our feeders were out. Carolina chickadees were were coming to the feeders and titmice and uh, and you know a few odds and ends. Otherwise, there's there's always bald eagles flying around there. Um, but you know we were focused on the food, the fun times, and uh, yeah, just having a good old time. And uh, yeah, and and you know you've got to understand too that there's no 
protocol in Ebert for wedding, you know, because it's not <laughs> it's not quite stationary. Yeah. It's not quite traveling. It's would have uh, would have had to be an incidental list. Incidental. I think. I, yeah, it's yeah. In, incidental. Maybe that's it. You know? Yeah. But, that would have been the I way mean, to go. Be, if the Ebert people are listening, please, we need a, a wedding protocol. Yeah, it and, seems uh, not too much to ask. We need I know. know. Somebody call it Marshall Iliff and be like, dude, where's the wedding protocol, man? That's right. You know, you yeah. want but anyways, congratulations, George. Yeah, you guys, man, thanks. Uh, um, yeah, I, 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 it's, uh, it's great, you know, and, and now you're shopping around for house, a house and all that, and we, we can talk about that later another yeah, podcast, yeah. how that goes, because when that happens, you'll have a yard list oh, that you can then tell us about, you know. Dude. Oh, boy. I am so keen on that. I am so keen. I can't, I really want to find a place. Yeah, exactly. I want to find a place that I can like get all the native shrubs in there, you know, maybe get a nice pin oak for all the, you know, the songbirds. So yeah, we will, we will get to that in due course. Um, But yeah, that's going on as well. So there's a lot going on right now. But, you know, I mentioned that the the news had been broken um, elsewhere we we just had a a great time a few days ago. What was it last week? Yeah, talking yeah. to Charlie Hesse of Naturally Adventurous. Yeah, and um, gosh, you know, shout out to to, to those guys uh, for inviting us. And uh, Ken Barons was not there; he's out lost in Africa somewhere. Yeah, I think he was like out in the the Karoo of South Africa, rolling around oh, wow. someplace. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, that guy's he doesn't mess around, you know, all business. No, yeah. no, we're yeah. <laughs> but I, I thought it was great, um, you know, this conversation that took us to to things that we haven't talked about here, a little yeah. bit about sort of the origin of our birding and some uh, stories about looking for birds here and there. And uh that's that's what they do. They 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 talk sort of about searching for birds all around the world and some of the things that happen and the, the hijinks and, and all yeah. that. And I, 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 um, I think it's particularly, um, you know, uh, a, a podcast that, that relates so well to some of the job, you know, description of being a tour leader and some of the things that happen while you're scouting for birds or looking for birds or sorting all this stuff out. So it, it was good fun to, to, to do that. And, and have sort of a different aspect of some of the things we, we haven't talked about here yet. So I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Those guys know what they're doing. They've been doing that podcast for a long time. It's one of my absolute favorites. They have a ton of experience uh, all over the world. They both live in really interesting places. You know, Charlie's there in Chiang Mai, like in Thailand and Ken's living in Madagascar and, yeah, they got a ton, you know, ton of time in the field, a ton of great stories, and we, it was really fun to to yeah. get some time with them. One of the things that I thought was actually really funny, I didn't, you know, obviously you you don't want to point this out while you're on the podcast, but he's been all over the world, as Charlie has it, but he did not know where the Del Marva Peninsula was. <laughs> it's like, you know, I know we need of, to give him a hard time about that. I, I know, you know. We, we need to give him, you know, a map of the U S but he, you know, he's, he's probably gone to the, to the very specific kind of, 
you know, really birdie sites in the U.S., Texas and, you know, yeah. Florida or whatever. He's maybe never been that far north. In, yeah, it's in possible. The US. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, too, not tropical enough. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, that that was one term he didn't know, Alvaro. But there was another term that came up that not only did he not know, but I didn't know. And since that podcast episode has aired of Naturally Adventurous, I have been taking a little bit of a beating for not knowing what a rock hounder was. Uh, rock hound. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, rock, rock hound. hound. You see, I can't even get the term right. Yeah. 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 Somebody who... Like a birder looks for birds, rockhound looks for rocks, and and, and you know I I was uh, almost um, you know you were disappointed I, in me, I, weren't you? I felt like you were disappointed. Well, I it was it was it sort of <laughs> was made to seem like this might be just a Canadian term, you know, but mm-hmm. apparently it's uh, it's as American as um, it is Canadian. So I I would just sort of say that. Now I am shocked at your yeah maybe you even know a little, all these bi- maybe even a little you know, dismayed yeah yeah you know these big words but <laughs> but rockhound you did not know yeah Doug Gottschfeld <laughs> actually was like dude how can you not know what a rockhound is and he sent me a YouTube clip from Shawshank Redemption where you know Red and and uh, Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins are sitting around talking about the the rockhammer. You know, that he jokes about how he could never get out of prison with that. And, of course, that's exactly what he did. Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, so, yeah. And it's funny. I hadn't even – I didn't even think about that term. You know, I just – and I thought, like, everybody knew what that was. And then I, I you know, I, I was I was really surprised. But um just turned out that I was talking to the only two people on Earth that did not know what a rock hound was. <laughs> I know. I know. So really, we, 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 we both need to get our act together. Me, especially being the, on this side of the pond. Right. <laughs> that was good fun though. Um, and yeah, thanks to, to them. And we'll, we'll put out on the notes uh, below here, you know, you know, how to go and listen to them. Uh, so if you like this podcast, you may like that one too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed uh, detailing my, my, First black rail experience, right? Uh, you were telling me you you've got, you've had some some interesting black rail experience as well. Oh yeah, so you know black rail. If you look at the map, you know in the field guide, it's it's kind of spotty all over the place. And uh, I went on this research project with my supervisor at the time, Jim Rising, who's passed away now a few years back. He wrote that Jim, sparrow Jim, guide. Yeah, yeah, Jim's yeah. the Sparrow Man, and he was on the uh, you know AOU committee when it was called the AOU Taxonomic Committee and stuff. We used to drive around talking about bird taxonomy and all this. But he invites me to go and do this work on Orioles in the hybrid zone in Western Kansas. But on our way over there, we went birding a few spots, and you know it was kind of central Kansas near maybe near the. Uh, Quivira National Wildlife Refuge, or maybe it was around there or somewhere, you know, one of those spots where Cheyenne Bottoms, Cheyenne Bottoms, yeah, another great refuge there, yeah, where black rail's supposed to be. And, you know, in my mind, I had all these things I'd never seen in my life that I had a chance for seeing in this on this trip. It was the first trip I saw, you know, Canyon towy and uh, you know various other sort of more western things my first buick's wren 
it's weird because, you know, at this point in time, they're backyard birds for me. You know, I was living, we were out of Toronto, so we drove out. And middle of the day one day, we're out there in this like kind of dry marshy area, but there's this one wet spot. And uh, and I say to Jim, hey, you know, you think like black rail could be here? And he's like, oh man, he's like, <laughs> and see, Jim grew up in Kansas. He, he was from there. He'd oh, wow. grown up birding all those places. And he said, oh. Man, black rail's supposed to be around here, but it's never seen. You know, hardly anybody hears them. It's like a super rarity. I, he said, I've never seen one my whole life. I'm like, you're kidding me. And I said, well, this little wet spot here looks pretty good. And there was, it, it was actually cattails, which actually isn't, yeah. <laughs> isn't that good for, but it had some grassy area around it. And there was like a tunnel, little dark tunnel into the cattails and i just decided i would play a tape of a black rail in the middle of the day sun you know blasting down exactly when you shouldn't there's no hope to see anything let alone a black rail and i do this and after a few calls a black rail popped right out of that tunnel (laughs) and i look i say hey jim look at this there's a black rail and he said he's like i'll be darned you know There it is. Wow. Wow. And it's, you know, nothing like that ever happens, you know? Yeah. And he he said, uh, I can't believe that, uh, you know, we go into my home state, you know, in the absolute middle of the day, you play this black reel and it comes out, you know? And and it was just one of those magical things, you know? Um, But yeah, (laughs) I've seen him a few times since, usually... In, in Palo Alto Baylands when they used to come out on the, the high tide. Yeah. And otherwise in relatives and other populations in South America, you know, I mean, I think you, you've seen, you know, I know you've seen the Galapagos rail, right? It's pretty yeah. similar. Yeah. Yeah. Real similar. The calls, uh, similar, but different, right? They, yeah, they yeah. really, they, they do like, they, it seems like they do a lot more fast. They, yeah, they they got a whole bunch of different stuff they do. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's almost like they instead of going kind of kiki do, they go kicker. Yeah, kicker. Like it's a it's a kind of a raspy. It's but it's the same quality, you know. Yeah, yeah, the, the exact same quality, really. And, and it seems like sometimes they get they, they will when they get real agitated, go into the the kiki cur, kiki do kiki cur. But mm-hmm. mo- most often it's that's not. It's not the way it is. They do that more raspy call. Yeah. And I, I've had good luck with them there. I think I've done 10 tours and seen them. I, I only missed them once. And that, that was actually, it was the tour. My dad was on that tour and I really wanted to get him one because he, you know, he's such like a black rail um, guy. He like, he studied them um, even though he's only ever seen them really just the one time. Um, you know, he, he, uh, I really wanted him to see that bird. And that was like the one time I, di- I didn't yeah. manage to pull it off. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great bird. And, and the funny thing about them too, is even just within their range on the islands, they, you find them in a pretty strange range of habitats from the Myconia zone up there into sort of grassy fields down lower. I guess people even get them like in the mangroves and stuff sometimes. Yeah, I guess. Um, um, but I think overall, they are not in the habitats you would think 
a black rail type thing should be in, right? Like right. They're in the highlands and they're in in places that are moist, obviously, but not not that uh, you know grassy slash salt marsh type habitat that you think of black rail. And interestingly enough, in if you get further south in Chile, the black rails there again go into marshes and salt marsh and so forth. They're they're in that habitat you would call black rail habitat, and they're considered black rails. But weirdly enough, they although they look like black rails more than Galapagos rails, they sound like Galapagos rails. Hmm. So we suddenly have like, huh, you know, there's multiple things going on in there. And probably different species because these they, these birds don't learn their songs. They, right. You know, they kind of and they're all hatch. isolated. Yeah, 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 isolated. And you know, recently there's been um, some work done on on the genetics of some of these birds. And what's interesting is like some you know if you lined up a bunch of these rails, you know, yellow rail and black rail, and you know some of the other ones in the genus also lateralis, like the red and white crakes and so forth. Some of them look alike and others don't. And one of them that actually looks like a black rail is in a different genus. Yes. Which is the dot wing crake. I was just going to bring that one up because I got to see that one finally two years ago. And I always looked at it in the book and I was like, they have it as a porzana, but I'm like, that's gotta be a lateralis. And then I saw the thing and I was like, oh, that's not a lateralis. (laughs) But guess what? It is the genetics are that it actually is a black rail group. Oh it's wow! Not yeah. and and for those who don't know what a porzana is, it's Sora. Yeah. So Sora and you know some of the other um, you know crakes. So it turns out it actually is a black rail. And That's if funny. You, if you listen to one of some of the calls, it actually sounds kind of black railish again. Huh. Yeah. And recently, it was also confirmed that the inaccessible island rail which is way out in the middle of the ocean in the South Atlantic, out by yeah. Tristan de Cunha. This thing is a flightless rail, and it's part of the same group. So oh, we wow. suddenly have this kind of uh, subgroup within the the crakes, which is Black Rail, Galapagos, um, Dotwing Crake, and Inaccessible Island Rails. Yeah, so now I thought Dotwinged you know, and Inaccessible, are, aren't they closest to each other? I, I yeah. Believe. Yeah. I th- yeah. Yeah. But like inaccessible, like basically kind of parades around out in open space, right? Like in, like, I think I've seen pictures of that thing. It looks like it's just like, you know, it's like a, like a rodent, you know? Yeah. yeah it's, exactly. It's flightless and it's kind of almost hairy looking with a long yeah. bill, you know? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just weird. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating, you know, like that there's some of it that, we had it all, you know, the scientists had it all wrong. Like these things that were in three different groups of rails, they all are actually related. And if you listen to them, you actually could have sorted some of this out. And even some of the visuals, like the Dotwing Crake is, yeah, is that, you know, kind of, you know, there's it's, aspects of it that look, you know. Yeah. Like I, once rail. I saw that thing, I was like, I see why people thought this is a Porzana. Um, mm-hmm. Because structurally that it looked more like that to me than, the, the vocalizations I heard it, it was just giving like little high pitched kind of squeak calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and, and, you know, that was different than anything else I'd heard. Um, maybe there's more vocalizations now than yeah, I'm aware of. There's, there's more now. Yeah. More, more range of them. And in fact, it's, pro- it's become easier to find. And for some weird reason, some of the Chilean bird are, you know, it's, it's been mainly an Argentine, 
15 Uruguay sort of species, you know, that's where it's sort of right, mainly so Argentina. Plata. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's been, it was recently in the last 10 plus years found in westernmost Argentina. And now it's been found in Chile. There's a little population which people thought, oh, they're vagrants, you know, but they're resident and there's multiple individuals. And it's, you start wondering, like, was that thing always there? Right. It took birders to be sort of roaming around to find them? Or did they just cross the Andes and it's a new population? <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to me, you know. They only just recorded the song of that thing for the first time, what, like 10 years ago or less, I think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's a uh, it's a pretty again like black rail it's it's patchy it's yeah. it's in these little spots here and there and who knows Enigmatic. maybe it's more widespread yeah Enigm- yeah but, really cool birds those secretive little phantoms of the marsh and uh, yeah you know even within their kind of east coast mid Atlantic range they vary like the ones on the Delmarva Peninsula often like Spartina Peyton's grasses and then you get down to the outer banks they often like juncus like needle rush. Um, and, uh, and then you got these freshwater ones and uh, yeah, it's, it's they're They are interesting, weird, enigmatic, and hard to see for the most part. Cool bunch of birds. Yeah. It's, and Hey, think, thinking about rare vagrants and slash, you know, well, I wouldn't call them phantoms quite, but as a migrant, they kind of are. Kirtland's warbler. Yes. I yes, hear sir. you saw one. Yes, man. <laughs> you Finally. and a million other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I was really, I have, I've never seen that bird. I've always wanted to go and see them up there in Michigan where they nest. You know, for most folks that are listening, probably know Kirtland's warbler has a really restricted range, mostly in Michigan. They spill over a little bit into Wisconsin and into Ontario. The bulk of them are in Michigan. It was recently delisted from the endangered species list. Um, I forget what the population is now. It's, I think it's, it's over 3,000, maybe over 4,000. Um, but they only breed there. They only winter in the Bahamas, pretty much. And then finding them anywhere in between there is real tricky. I mean, the, on the Great Lakes, if you're lucky, you know, McGee Marsh seems like they get one, sometimes even two, most springs. Um, but anywhere in between there, man, it's tough to find. And uh, and I've kind of avoided going to Michigan. I, I shouldn't say that, but like my priority has always been like, I want to see a migrant. And of course I want to find a migrant, but you know, I'm getting into my late forties now, still haven't found that migrant. And I'm like, yeah, I hear a while. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I hear that Ramsey Corey was down there in Baltimore birding this little park, urban park, Swan, Swan park. It's a couple baseball fields. And then, you know, um, right on uh, a little, little branch, off the Chesapeake Bay there. I forget what, what, uh, part of the river that, that is. Um, and, and like, there's some Phragmites and some groundsel tree Bacchus and this thing just pitched in there. Ramsey was there. I don't even know what he was doing, but he found this thing on a Monday. Right. And then everybody had to wait. Anyone who's working has stuff to do during the week had to wait until Saturday to go down, which is what I did. And, uh, it got, it was like, I woke up at like three in the morning. I was like, I really want to go see this bird. And poor Kristen, I woke her up. I was like, let's grab the dog and go. I want to see this thing. 
you know, I've been waiting to find my migrants, you know, somewhere here in Jersey or Delaware or Pennsylvania. Not happening. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll save that for another day. I hope let's go see this thing. We got there at dawn and, uh, yeah, I think paraded around beautifully. There was probably 15 or 20 of us. I found out a whole bunch of folks went and saw it later that day, but over the course of the week, I mean, it must be hundreds of people have been seeing it in the photos. You know, if you look at Ebert top, top media for the last week or two or last week or, uh, or so, uh, that there are a lot of really good images of Kirtland's warblers. And I guess there's some, even some controversy about the behavior of some of the photographers. We won't get into that, but, um, but it, you know, these birds are, are, are mostly kind of terrestrial. They feed low and they, they, they present well a lot of the time. And, uh, and people, you know, I think they're not used to that with a lot of warblers, right? They hang out up in treetops and everybody's sort of like, is this bird okay? You know, is it all right? Should we be concerned? And, you know, if it hangs around too much longer, I guess perhaps there is reason for concern, but by and large, it's, it's behaving like Kirtland's warblers do. And this one just kind of strayed maybe a little bit east of where they normally do on their southbound migration, but man, it's been such a great bird to see. And, you know, I, I knew that they were supposed to be a big warbler, but I was still really impressed by just how big they are and all the yeah. tail bobbing, you know, really remind you of a palm warbler in kind of behavior. Um, and yeah, they're lethargic almost. They're sort of slow moving, yeah. big warbler. And, and they, I, you know, I have actually seen two on migration closer to the breeding grounds where it's easier. So one in Ohio and one in Ontario. And in, even in migration and this this habitat that you're describing is similar to what they take in the Caribbean, which is copse habitat, it's called, which mm-hmm. is a shrubby, kind of hot, semi-open, right. you know, might sort of shrub little, scrub, right? Yeah, with a little cacti and that kind of stuff, you know. And 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 I I remember the Ohio place was this, you know, edge scrubby thing with uh, sumac. You know, and 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 the caked earth, you know, where it's been beaten down by the sun all summer, kind mm-hmm. of thing. The same with Peely at you know, there were little Apuntia cactus, and they just sort of like key into these spots where like, oh, I'm comfortable here. This looks like a little bit of the Caribbean right here, but in structure, not in the actual plant types. Right, and uh, really specific warbler into what it takes. Yeah. Um, yeah, breeding up uh, in those jack pines, which is sort of a stunted little looking forest that's fairly open, really, for the most part. I've never seen yeah. it, but that's uh, I've seen the foot yeah. images of it. And your buddy Peter Burke, I know, has done a lot of work on them uh, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. He he uh, he told me that what the theory is, or I don't know if it's his theory or general theory, is that the uh, the glaciers uh, right around the Great Lakes created this big massive sand you know like sort of sandy soil that appears here and there all over sort of the north side of the the lakes the great lakes and it's this this situation where the jack pine um grows in in really sort of poor sandy soil and the the warblers are special to this sandy soil patch so they probably evolved post glaciation you know the earliest glaciations were really are adapted to this very specific pine habitat, and it doesn't have to be jack pine. Apparently, red pine will also work, but it has to be even growth. So after a fire, 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's really specific. Gosh, right. So they know. just got a few years basically after a fire, right? Like three, yeah, five yeah, years or something years. like that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then then it has to be sort of managed for them now that we don't have sort of the, you know, fires that used to sort of go rampant through those habitats like, like uh, it, you know, it used to happen. So there's a lot of management that goes on for the the warbler. And there, Peter's um, work is actually creating habitat in Ontario in places where they're the right situation occurs. And, and their idea is like, if they create the habitat, they will get warblers. And um, there's some evidence that, yeah, it's, it's happening. They're going to get sort of a breeding population because it's uh, it's they're they're sneaking in there um, into Ontario. So it's, it's pretty neat. Is that who would have known, you know, this Michigan bird, it really isn't a Michigan bird. It was just restricted to Michigan when it was really uncommon, but now it's in Wisconsin and other places that it's moved into. It's that entire great Lakes sand. So, so if, if we rename it, maybe instead of Jack pine warbler, we call it small pine warbler, small pine warbler, small yeah. pine <laughs> or sand. <laughs> Sand loving warbler. I don't know. Yeah. yeah that's probably a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> Wes, yeah. Let's find worse names. Yeah. Like really, yeah. you know, I've, I'm your guy. Proven yeah. names. We're going to like make really bad names, you know. <laughs> yeah. Let's call it palm warb. Oh, that's taken. <laughs> Palmetto warbler. <laughs> yeah. Now you're cooking with grease. Yeah. But yeah, uh, congratulations on on the warbler then. Yeah. yeah, man. Legit lifer, you know? I it's I got one last year just outside Philly when the bean goose was here. Um and apart from that, I th- I think like, you know, it's obviously been doing this a while. It's hard for me to get lifers kind of, you know, anywhere right around here. Um but so that was the first one since the bean goose. And before that, it was the Pennsylvania black backed Oriole. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's North American new birds for us are few and far between, I guess, you know, at this point after being at this for, for a while. And mine would be. Smith's longspur that you mentioned on Naturally Adventures. Oh, I've right. never seen a Smith's longspur ever. And I've looked actually. Um, you'll, pr- you'll probably get one on one of your boat trips out to the Farallons, yeah. happen- hopping around, you know, at the edge of the, the shore there or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or walking my dog, you know, yeah. out here in the fields. <laughs> yeah. Never know. Never know. But where you live, yeah. that kind of stuff happens. You know? That's right. And any, anything right now it's red throated pipit sort of time of Ooh. year. Like they could show up, you know, keep waiting so. for one of those on the East <clears throat> someday. Yeah. Someday. Um, you know, while, while I've been talking to you, I, what, the, one of the boat captains, um, just sent me this text that said that, that the short bill was in the Harbor and I'm like, that's it. And I'm thinking, I think he means short-tailed. short-tailed albatross. Oh my gosh! And there's been a windstorm last couple of days, so suddenly I'm uh, intrigued. Let's put it this way: Are you like about, you're like? How did I end up recording a podcast with George right now? I should be out there <laughs> looking at the ocean. I know, I know. So, but in the harbor means that 
it could just be like swimming around out there. Gosh. Well, we'll have this to is see. a youngster, I'm assuming, right? One of those chocolate ones. With, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been sort of if it's if it's correctly identified, and they, you know, the the boat uh, captains have been looking for this this bird because they know that a lot of the birders want to see it. But it's been going up and down the California coast, and it's rather tame. This individual and hasn't. I don't want to say an injury in the wing, but it's missing a bunch of feathers on one wing, so it's a easily identified as the same individual that's been, you know, hanging out near boats. So that's why a lot of the captains are, are um, identifying it or have found it here and there. So we'll see. Hmm. We'll see. Sounds sort of like this Hearman's gull that's been floating up and down the East coast. It's, I forget, I've lost track of how many States that thing's been seen in. Yeah. Yeah. Of course our, you know, great state of California is about, 10 of your little tiny eastern states this is true this is true <laughs> so wow. one bird can stay and stay in our state and it would have been like 10 states mm-hmm. elsewhere <laughs> you know i like alvaro how you said that there was there was no judgment attached to that statement none whatsoever <laughs> those tiny little states <laughs> yeah know. Yeah, dude. Yeah, the list the list oriented people have to, you know, break it up into counties. Otherwise, you know, it's just too much to work with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know I know the Californians are crazy about the county listing. We're pretty serious about it here too, but uh counties are a little smaller, I think, for the most part. Hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. See One that. thing uh I wanted to uh to mention is that I'm excited to be going to the Cape May Fall Birding Festival this coming weekend. Um, it'll be my first birding festival since, what, 2019, you know, post uh, uh, first first one since, you know, kind of pre-pandemic. Um, it'll wow. be really fun to see. There's going to be so many people there, you know, people coming in from all over the place. I, I think like Carlos Betancourt's coming in from Panama, um, there's going to be just a great gang of folks. Um, and looking back, you know, I was kind of looking back at my Cape May birds over the years and realized that tomorrow, October 13th, um, will be the, I think it's the 15th anniversary of one of the, one of the cooler birds I ever got to kind of co-find, which was a sulfur-bellied flycatcher um, in Cape May. Really good bird, you know, anywhere in the East. I think at that point there was maybe one or two records in Florida and, you know, just not many East of the Mississippi. Uh, Louisiana had a, one or two and that was really about it. And uh, I remember I, I had a group of like six people and, and we were, um, you know, we're birding around. It was one of these mid-October days. Cold front came through. Birds all over the place. They're whizzing by. You know, Cape May it can actually be a real challenge, especially if you're a new birder, because there can be so many birds that it can be tough to kind of, you know, focus in on on one and and you know figure out which one. Like someone's like, oh, you know, there's a, you know, there's a. I don't know, Cape May warbler over there, or there's a, a Tennessee and like figuring out which one or, or just you, it's seen so briefly, it can be really frustrating for people actually, because there's so many birds, right? That's a good problem to have. This was a day kind of like that. 
And I had this group of six folks and I just saw this bird come in and I had like a little window on it, kind of threw some cherries and <laughs> sassafras, you know, and I just saw it land there. And Sassafras. And, yeah, that's a fun word to say, right? Sassafras. Yeah. Sassabrilla. <laughs> it's a great tree. But yeah. this thing flew in and I like right around that time, I started hearing like some voices. Like I heard some people kind of hollering and yelling and I was like, I wonder what that's about. It almost sounds like they got a good bird. And then I, I looked at this bird and, and I actually dropped like a, I dropped like a, a holy, I was like, you know, I, I, yeah, beep. I, like I was just like, you know, usually on tour, I'm pretty composed, but I actually like had to use some profanity and I was like, you know, oh my God. And, um, and my, and my participants, like, uh, they're with me on the tour. Just look at me like, they're like, oh, something's up, you know? And I was like, there's a sulfur blade flycatcher like right there. And I'm, but I have this little window and I can't get it. And I'm like trying to get the scope on it. And, and then it moves again. And then I'm like, okay, I got it again, you know? And then it moved again. And that was it. It was gone. Never saw it again. I called Michael O'Brien. He was, he was on the, uh, he was on the dike there where they do the, the morning flight count and he actually saw it flying away. Um, he's pretty sure, but it was, you know, that was it. And it turned out there were two other guys, uh, John Feenstra and Bob Fogg had just seen it like seconds before that. And, um, and kind of had a similar experience to what I did. Wow. Um, so yeah, maybe similar luck, um, this, this weekend would be, would be so very nice. Um, yeah. Or- yeah, this it's you know October's that time when things just sort of show up. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, boy, yeah. Uh, there's a little corollary to that sulfur belly flycatcher. I feel like I should I should tell, even though it's a little embarrassing. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, now you have to tell it. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of remembered it, but. Yeah. Remember, people are listening, George. You know, <laughs> this is not just a conversation between me and you. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, yeah. Like it was like uh, like a week after that, and um, I was I was dating this girl at the time named Jen, and uh, this woman named Jen, um, and and we went out, had ourselves a grand old time. You know, had ourselves some drinks, and then you know went back to her place. And as far as I knew, passed out and, you know, I wake up in the morning. I'm like, ah, boy, that was a fun night. And, you know, I might be a little worse for the wear today, but that sure was a good time. And, uh, and she's like, she's like, yeah, yeah, it was a good time, George. Um, did you, uh, did you see any sulfur bellied flycatchers last night? And I'm like, how do you even know? what a sulfur belly flycatcher is. Like she was not a birder at all. You know, I'm like, 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 how do you know? Like, I, I didn't talk about that. She would never, you know, she didn't know birds at all, you know? And, uh, I was like, how do you even know what that is? And she was like, well, George, I'll tell you last night at about three in the morning, I watched you get up out of bed, uh, go towards the window where there was a large stand up mirror. You picked up the mirror, you moved it to the side, you drew back the curtains, you opened the window, and you started looking around outside. And it, you freaked me out. So I was like, George, what are you doing? And I would turned around and I was like, I'm looking for sulfur-bellied flycatchers. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, well, you're freaking me out. 
come back to bed. And I was like, okay. So I put down the window, drew the shades, put the mirror back, went back to bed. No memory of it whatsoever. Okay, you can't count that one. No, no, especially given that it was, you know, it would have been a nocturnal checklist on eBird, put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Downtown Philadelphia. Sulfur Belly Flycatcher, we, uh, we actually eventually, uh, Ricardo Matus and I found one on a tour in Chile, first one ever that far south. Um, They get around, but uh, we, Earlier than that, when I was in university, my first year university, one showed up in Ontario, and it was October again, same kind of thing at Presqu'ile um, um, Provincial Park, which is on the you know about three hours away, or I want to say three four hours away from where we were going to university, and the bunch of birders, you know, were there. You know, all my friends, Peter that we mentioned earlier, Carl, Ian. Uh, all sort of my teenage birding friends squad. We all went to, yeah, we all went to the same school, same, same year. And the only one with a car was Ian and he had a VW bug. Oh, wow. You know, old one. Yeah. You know? The classics. God. And we, and you know, we decided like, this is the bird of a lifetime, you know, a Canada, Sulfur-bellied flycatcher, bird of, you know, Mexico slash Central America showing up there. It's, this is crazy. It's, you know, it's one step away from being a trogon in Canada, you know. So <laughs> we we decided, yeah, we're going to get Ian to go for this. And he was kind of, you know, he was he was trying to take school seriously and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> This is what you call peer pressure. Peer pressure. And, you know, we, we went, we, f- we figured out what class he was in. And we were at the window. There was a, a window in the door, like you know, just sort of waving our hands, you know, like <laughs> doing binocular, you know, symbology around our eyes, you know, and he was just looking at us, ignoring, and, you know, he didn't come out. And so we had to wait till this class was over. And they said, oh, silver belly flycatch just been found, you know, whatever. It's over there and let's go. And he was like, no, no, guys, there's no way. You know, it's like, uh, you know, don't have money for gas. Don't so we eventually peer pressured him into it. And <laughs> the car, the car was not up to the task. Oh boy. Let's put it that way. And we were going off, you know, like he's eventually going there and he's driving, you know, we're, we're motoring along thinking yeah, a couple hours from now, we'll, we'll have ourselves a sulfur bellied flycatcher. <laughs> and, and it, it overheats the car overheats and, you know, they had, they had a crappy cooling system in those cars you know so we we let it mellow out for a while you know wait side of the highway okay you know keep on going oh i think it overheated again you know we wait you know so this this cup three hour trip turns into this nightmare of like five or something hours and there's a point in time we've invested so much time and energy at this that we're like we're still doing this you know we're going we're going we get there <laughs> and you see all the birders sitting there and we arrive and they said, oh man, yeah, it's, it's, it's here. It was here like five minutes ago Oof. and it was never seen again. Ouch. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, like, that's the old, it was just here a minute ago. Yeah. I know. And, and it was just, but you know, I got to say we had such a good time just joking around in that car and we still, 
I, I still see like a VW bug and I know people are, there's some people love them and what it's a crappy car and it cost me <laughs> goes a our, really great bird. There goes our and, Volkswagen sponsorship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> well, new Volkswagen might be better, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but Constellation prize, very late bubble link. Very late bubble. Wow. 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 Yeah, that's that is a real glasses half full uh bobble link right there. Yeah. I know. So uh yeah, it's uh sometimes not seeing a bird can be just really dispiriting and awful, but that was actually kind of fun. Yeah. Just because we were it's a bunch of the, you know, it was just so great. We didn't wake up thinking we were gonna do that. We did it, we failed, but we had a good time doing yeah. it. The journey. Froze our butts off too. That that car had no heating. Wow. So it would overheat, but it wouldn't heat you. So I don't know how that worked. <laughs> it's not ideal in a vehicle. Not ideal. Winter. Yeah, late late fall, early winter in Ontario. Yeah, yeah, and and you know before people think, oh wow, he's so old that you know everybody was like driving around VW bugs. No, at that time. It was an old car <laughs> that was like a really old. It wasn't like people were driving these things around. He had like a vintage car, yeah, so like, a, like, like a like a '68 sure. Volkswagen Bug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't know what he was thinking, you know. So, anyways, hate that car. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, I think this is an episode that Charlie and Ken would approve of. Uh, stories, <laughs> stories from the field. Uh, stories from the field yeah 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 man um well i think uh we could wrap up here soon but we did want to say too that um we look forward to having ken on as a guest so those of you that that are fans of naturally adventurous and and enjoy listening to charlie and ken uh we're gonna have ken barons on here down the road uh so that'll be fun to uh to get him on here and, uh, and, and talk about birds and, and birding adventures with him. So look I, forward I, to that. I think he might know where the Delmarva Peninsula is. Better odds, I think. Yeah. Better, better odds, odds. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I love that name because it actually sounds cool and is like Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. Virginia. You know, yeah. that's so then you think like, well, that's kind of corny, but no, it actually sounds cool. Like it's, you know, like a, it was meant to be that word, you know, and it comes from way back. Yeah. <laughs> from, from some, you know, you know, indigenous land or something, Delmarva, right? Yeah. No, it's just, it's, it's concocted. But yeah. I but like it works. It. it works. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Great burning area. Yeah. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, any final thoughts, Alvaro Jaramillo, for, um, today? for today, I should say? Well, um, check out my, you know, my website, alvarosadventures.com. There's an events section up there, three different workshops in the next month and a half or so, waterfowl, winter sparrows, and then large white-headed gulls. <laughs> So these are workshops I'll give live over Zoom. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't done a workshop for a while. I'm sort of stopped during the main part of the uh, pelagic season. So so uh, as the pelagic season's wrapping up, I'm starting up a few new web, uh, you know, 
workshops. So nice. Yeah. Check it out if you're interested in any of those groups. And and the goal one is always popular. I, you know, even though people don't like goals, they they want to like them. Yeah. And I try to help them like them by understanding a little bit more what what they look like and simplify the whole thing because it's it's actually often made harder than um it should be. Yeah. No, I'm sure uh, I have I have seen you in action in the field teaching people about gulls and uh you do a great job of making them more seem more accessible and and actually be more accessible because they are definitely one of the most challenging groups. So that should be fantastic. Yeah. Otherwise, um, that's it. You know, I got nothing else. (laughs) Right on, right on. (laughs) Nice. Well, we do look forward to getting Molly Brown back. She had her first uh, pelagic experience uh, off the East Coast here in North Carolina. We're looking forward to chatting with her about that. And she's headed up to Canada soon. So uh, we're going to get her back involved uh, here real soon. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Good talking to you, Alvaro. Keep burden, everybody. Yeah. yeah. We'll see you next time, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>